mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Hello and welcome to Sentimental Garbage, the podcast where we talk about the culture we love that society sometimes makes us feel ashamed of. My name is Karen Dunhue and I don't know what closure is, but I will do absolutely anything to get it. And joining me is a girl who's doing really good, actually. It's Monica Heisey. Hi. Hi. This is an interesting one because um, it's a funny day for me because we started talking about weddings in the morning (laughs) with Lauren Bravo, which if this this goes well, um, the, the first episode of the season will be weddings and the second episode of the season will be breakups. Right. So we're running the whole gamut. Oh. Nothing in the middle. <laughs> Nothing in the middle. No, 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 just like a happiness and, and <laughs> muddling along. No one wants to see it. Hmm. Um, and and what's been fascinating me and what I'm like really excited to do more in this season of the podcast is, yes, keep this sort of thing that we've been doing all along, which is looking at specific texts and being like, okay, what's what's the take home from that? What's the cultural little nuggets we can find in there? But, but what I'm becoming more interested in is like, what are the things that culture teaches us to expect from certain life events, weddings being one of them, breakups being the other. Because I do think that if you grew up in like a nuclear family, or even if you you have divorced parents or parents weren't together or whatever, you, the likelihood is you're not going to see a lot of breakups around you, but you are forced by them through television and sitcoms, which I don't I think probably for you as well as me, sitcoms were on a major way how I learned about the world mm. and, they're, and they're just like full of breakups because that's what you do to move story along right you have conflict right? conflict yeah. right and Frasier bangs someone for two episodes and then there's a problem with them and then they must go kind of thing yeah. um, and so like God did you learn about emotions from <laughs> Frasier? <laughs> I mean I'm listening <laughs> Just, just a big guy who <laughs> listens to people in my recording booth all the time. <laughs> this is how it's happened. Um, so, you are someone who was divorced and usually young. Mm-hmm. Has written a book partially inspired by that experience, mm-hmm. and is also uh, a known sitcom writer. So, I'm kind of excited about how all those experiences and identities mesh together. Ooh, me too now. <laughs> <laughs> You're really selling me to me. I'm listening. Okay. God, what am I going to say? What's she going to... Yeah, not, not, not really a question, more of a comment. Okay, yeah. There's probably, probably great stuff in there. I'm excited. So, so yeah, like, when you... Where do you want to start with first? The unusually young divorce? The um, learning about conflict and relationships and resolutions through TV or like or the book in general. What made you decide to write it? Yeah, I mean, the unusually young divorce was kind of what prompted writing it. I um, I got divorced when I was or started the process of separating when I was 28. Mm. And I was it was pretty isolating because that was kind of the age where people were maybe starting to get engaged. Mm. Um, We had kind of jumped ahead a little bit. My ex was a little older than me. So his friends had been getting married and we got married. Um, And then I found myself uh, having failed at that right when everyone was just sending out save the dates, (laughs) Um, which was a pretty isolating experience on its own. And I think not uncommonly when people are feeling isolated in their experience, they maybe look for film or television or books to kind of show them that they're not totally on their own. Mm. Um, But I couldn't really find anything out there that spoke to this particular experience of being in your early 20s and going through a divorce. Mm -hmm. Um, I I think it's a fairly uncommon... Circumstances would have had to been pretty extreme for someone in a generation above ours to kind of jump out that early. Right. Um, So... There wasn't much out there and what the divorce, obviously there's tons of novels and shows about divorce, but Mm. it's all sort of like 40 and 50 year olds and they're dealing with custody and they're figuring Mm. out who gets to keep the house. And I was sort of like 
needed to move out of our one bedroom apartment because we couldn't f- afford the rent on our own. Yeah. And, <laughs> you know, we had a cat, no ch- no possessions of value whatsoever. So it was a really different. It was basically just like a, a juiced up breakup. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, it had all this cultural baggage and then was just otherwise a terrible in your 20s breakup. And I guess there's this thing, I mean, I imagine this happened at the time where like you have probably a lot of people saying to you like, oh, well, you know, at least, at least basically, at least it doesn't matter <laughs> because, you know, I mean, not that exactly, but like people being like, oh, at least there's no kids, at least there's no property, at mm. least you get it's a clean break, at least, at least, at least, which I imagine must have been very minimizing and being like, yeah, but also I've, I've, I've technically speaking failed in marriage you oh know, like, if anything yeah. it was the opposite situation where i was like at least we've got no kids haha ha. yeah. and everyone else was like but your marriage is over. <laughs> oh with the reverse <laughs> yeah. okay okay and i was like oh yeah i guess it is bad and so one of the things that i wanted in writing the novel was to acknowledge that it is devastating or it can be devastating and it's very painful and difficult but also something that treated heartbreak with a bit of a light hand yeah a lot of the breakup stuff out there is pretty heavy duty. A breakup is considered kind of like the worst thing that can happen to you. And it does feel that way at the time. I mean, the interesting question is like, would it feel that way if the art was different? Yeah. Um, but I wanted to read or watch something that was a bit like, this is terrible and ridiculous. I'm a very maybe confusing to friends because I'm, I'm a loud person, but I don't actually love to be the center of attention. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you do feel very exposed during yeah. a breakup I think yeah. um, because humans are curious you know we want to know what happened who who fucked it up <laughs> yeah yeah um, what are you going to do now um, or who's seeing someone else you know um, and I think that feeling of of being looked at is part of what fuels people's interest in kind of building a story around the breakup so that if people are looking anyway at least we can get a clear cohesive you know win basically this is why i think people try and win breakups is because they feel like everyone's already looking that's very true so they're going to make meaning out of this situation anyway so why don't i be in charge of the story about everybody's already looking and so the the need to have a a script a story a sort of a branding for this particular type of breakup a messaging think that is the stuff where people start borrowing from culture right the idea of like i mean the stuff that starts in in tv or or whatever and then just bleeds through to the idea of like it's not you it's me or like i you know the i don't know that there's a specific touch point because it's it's so ubiquitous but like i definitely was very interested in the concept of a glow up yes um post breakup i was like well okay i'm i'm everyone's already looking um yeah so my butt's gonna get so firm that i won't be sad anymore um (laughs) which didn't work my butt got really firm but i was still so sad but you still you mean you found a real love of spinning yeah i i still love spinning it's very it's very unlike me that's one nice thing about breakups is you get really tender and open to stuff that you might not have been open to yes and so I, I went fully got into spinning unironically love to spin and in the pandemic I really missed um I really roll my eyes at the stuff they say in spin class and then in the pandemic I realized it was quite an important part of my week (laughs) I missed it so much just some like really muscular kind of guy named Brad yeah being like it's so important to move your body good for you for getting here today and that there's some part of me that needs that thrives off that thrives off that (laughs) Just plunged in total darkness, a spotlight just on you. No Maybe. spotlight, please. Total darkness total only. Da- total darkness only. Um, when we talk about like you being this sort of unusually young divorcee, and then I'm trying to imagine what that was like, trying to doing the like um, receiving like wedding invites. When mm. does it like cast a kind of cynicism over everything in other people's relationships? Is it hard to really believe like when you were going through that? I think that's when that no, if anything, you're like, oh, everyone else has found the right person. Really? And I just did it wrong. Yeah. But that's when you're being ridiculous. And that's sort of what the book is making fun of is like this period where you're like, ah, everyone at the wedding is looking at me. Yeah. No one's looking at you. There's literally a bride in a <laughs> wedding dress 
you know, making promises to try and love someone forever. That is much more interesting than some sad woman in the corner. No one's looking. No one's looking. Um, And so the novel is kind of about a woman who doesn't yet know that no one's really looking. Yeah. But the thing, you know what? A piece of advice I have grown increasingly frustrated with is um, when people are like, no one's thinking about you, you know, Mm -hmm. whatever. Um, Because we we are in this kind of watcher culture the kind of the instagram stuff or whatever where we're, we're, we're kind of we are curious animals and piecing together clues about each other all the time and mm. being like she sounds like she's having a breakdown kind oh of, i can definitely kind of tell stuff. if a couple is going to get divorced on instagram oh yeah what are the signs they start posting a lot about how much they mean to each other <laughs> um and i think especially they do like a thank you post of like just need to shout out this one for being incredible crisis that is crisis. a crisis. When, why would you, would you do that in your, you know what I mean, on Instagram? I just want to shout out this one. Like, oh, this this one's been my rock. He's like a, a star. It's not always easy, but he's yeah. the only one I want. Mm-mm. Six months. Six months. <laughs> oh, no. I think. I think. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's interesting. There's a couple, there's a few I wouldn't call them celebrity couples, but, you know, just below that. Somewhere between influencer and celebrity, like known people, mm-hmm. where <laughs> where they've gone really hard. Um, they haven't... The, the, the interesting thing about, about, like, relationships growing and fading online is, like, generally there's the soft launch on Instagram stories. Important. There's, like, he, you can glimpse him, his coat in a mirror kind of thing, or... Or she's she's suddenly wearing a man's clothes. You know, mm. she's, she's generally very femme. Like, who did you sleep over in that <laughs> night? Or like a hand in a Guinness, or like cheersing kind mm-hmm. of thing. And then he obviously eventually the hard launch will come on the on the grid, mm-hmm. um, which will be like this one's birthday, you know. And you're like, who is this one? <laughs> I think the most elegant version of that is when you hide them in in the carousel of photos. So there's like, oh yes, like, they're like yeah, three yeah. or four photos in, and it's like, Ooh. oh, oh. Peekaboo! <laughs> yeah, actually, you know, you're right. The, the carousel, sort of like the debut there, mm. and then the full star moment. He's getting the full stage. Yeah. But then when they start winding him down, I find that even more fascinating. It's like, I haven't seen him in a while. Mm-hmm. And that is when I see a lot more of women after a night out in their bed still talking to camera. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and that's when I know he gone <laughs> to camera. Yeah, if you're talking to camera, something's gone wrong. Something's gone wrong. I was doing so, going through my Instagram stories for, during my breakup, like in, in hindsight, mm-hmm. to write the book. I was looking at them, yeah. and um, it was it was a very different style of posting than I would engage in now. How would you describe that style? It, like unhinged, like. <laughs> It was a lot of to camera stuff and like stuff that why it was just like I was clearly arranged in like flattering kind of poses Mm. and then kind of talking nonsense. Mm. Just it just Mm. in retrospect is so transparent. Yeah. So transparently like having a tough time. Someone needs to say something nice. (laughs) I'm having a tough time, but my makeup looks good today. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And there's also there's something that you cover in the book, which is the like, um. And something I recognize in myself as well. Not even just as like post breakup thing, but more like she's having a tough time thing <laughs> is the um it's the Twitter thing of this character who's constantly joking her like acerbic one liner is where she clearly thinks she's being like Dorothy Parker and her poison pen and her poison wit and everyone's just looking at her being like, Why are you a cunt? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I really wanted to get into that um habit that I definitely have taken part in and that I I see a lot on Twitter in particular of like young women kind of describing these debasing experiences that they've had but in a like (laughs) kind of way (laughs) and I think it you know Mm -hmm. people think they're sort of doing that Nora Ephron thing of like well if I'm telling the story then I'm getting the laugh yeah but it's like are you getting the laugh really and do you want to get that laugh and it's hard because I don't want to condescend to anyone and suggest that they aren't doing what they think they're doing, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. and I've participated in this. So maybe speaking only for my own behavior, it was sort of like picking a scab instead of like yeah. leaving it alone 
and letting it heal. It's like you pick the scab so then the wound is fresh so you can go back and get another one. Mm. It's, it's not, it wasn't great for it's, me anyway. It's a roughie. It's interesting, you brought norephron and it's made me think that um, you said that there was sort of no material out there when you were going through your, your breakup of like, of youngish people who were experiencing this level of breakup and then it I kind of go immediately the first thing I thought I was like oh how old was she in heartburn kind of thing because mm. you know I know she has young kids in that and I think she's like late 20s early 30s well this is the thing it's it's like it's kind of a generational thing more yeah, than an age thing exactly Nora Ephron is hard to read now in general because she's like relatable queen like she feels bad about her neck but then if you read the essays it's like it's almost impossible to find a building with a good doorman <laughs> yeah like, oh it's so true <laughs> I don't I don't know how to relate to that you know like even the rom-coms like the frazzled book editor who lives in yeah. this like two-bedroom apartment or whatever it's just different Oh, totally. But I think it's like I can completely, um, and we've talked about Nora Ephron's podcast before, but it's, just, it's a well that never goes dry for any, <laughs> <laughs> ever. But um, it, rom-com is a different thing because you're going to a rom-com to see beautiful things. Mm. And I, I don't want to see someone in a rom-com with a shitty apartment. <laughs> like Interesting. I, I want to see a beautiful place and a beautiful woman in it. Interesting. I want, I don't know. I Well, I guess Bridget Jones's apartment is still. It's still. She's got a fireplace. She's got, <laughs> she's got a working fireplace. fireplace. Um, but then you read Nora Ephron's essays and there's literally an essay in one of her last collections about how she thought she was going to inherit a lot of money and turned out it was only 30 grand. <laughs> I was like, how is this one okay, to We've like, all been there. We still a relatable queen. <laughs> I'm obsessed with the breakup in You've Got Mail between yes. Greg Kinnear and My Meg mother. Ryan. <laughs> I know. Uh, I'm like, well, watch one other director, please. Um, but And I've seen the work of Rob Reiner as well. Um, but yeah, um, and You've Got Mail, Meg Ryan has this sort of um, doofus writer boyfriend who's the most, everyone's like, oh, are you, are you like, you know, are you like the character in Heartburn or whatever? And I'm like, no, I'm like Greg Kinnear in You've Got Mail. <laughs> Um, specifically the part he's where his typewriter home. he's bringing home all these typewriters and he's like telling an anecdote on TV and Meg oh. Ryan's like I've heard you say that before and he goes yeah well she hasn't <laughs> that's it anyway they're breaking up and their breakup is so amicable and friendly yeah and you can see the tension lift between them really instantly once they've said yeah that it's not working and I think it Break, some breakups can be like that. That's like the platonic dream of a breakup. Both mm. of them are like sort of into someone else. We've been growing apart for a while. Yeah. There's literally no hard feelings whatsoever. It's gorgeous. And it's funny. And yeah. it's it's charming. And and they become so much more charming to each other. And she's like, oh, instantly she? kind of thing. It's like, yeah, it's so funny. And like the, the bit when they're just before that scene, when they're in the cinema and she's like, I didn't vote. Yeah. <laughs> Got a manicure. And I forgot. See, that's very Nora Ephron too. Like that's quite out of touch behavior. (laughs) These days, I don't think you would put your relatable heroine as a (laughs) non-voter. Yeah, it's so weird that that choice now. Quite. I got a manicure and forgot to vote. Are you kidding me? You would be like torched off the platform. I've got some infographics to send to you, Kathleen (laughs) Kelly. Um, and then, like staying on Efron, there's the when Harry met Sally, sorry with the fringe on top moment. Oh yeah, with his ex. With his ex, the run in that the the run in is a big fantasy thing. I think. Yes. Um, I think it looms very large. The the first time you see an ex. Yeah. Um, and what will what will it be like? What will you be wearing? What will they be wearing? I mean, that's what that whole Adele song is about. I mean Adele. Which one? Which one is it? It's not someone is like it, you. The one about heartbreak? <laughs> yeah, it's the um, sort of wise beyond its years Adele song about heartbreak. <laughs> um, there's an Adele song mm-hmm. about seeing someone who was important to you across the room at a party and you didn't know they would be there. Yes. Um, and I think that's a big, mm. you know, moment in real life. That's one of the ones that feels real. I don't think that that's been inflated by pop culture. Yeah. I think running into your ex for the first time feels intense and mm. charged and weird. It never goes in a way that's intense and charged yeah. and weird, but the first time you see them, you get that roller bad roller coaster feeling. Mm. Um it is bad roller coaster. 
and it's done so well in that movie where they're trying out the karaoke machine in this like department store. Yeah. And it's like the worst song for them to be it's singing. So funny. It's so funny. <laughs> when I take you. And Billy right Crystal's and... like body uh, yeah. language is so confident and goofy. And then he's just like instantly deflated yeah. by the drippiest looking woman ever Helen. Helen <laughs> and Ira. Ira. <laughs> no. I think the thing about the, the ex running, obviously it is like. Yeah, you want you want to be looking your best, wearing your best, being your most hilarious, wonderful self, and and you get that swooning thing when you see them of like, oh fuck, this is not what I planned. Like when I when I think of my last big ex run in, it was you know your your classic time frame, the sort of six or eight weeks after we broken up and uh, we ran into each other on the tube, and it was just like end of day of work. You know, having that shine on your forehead, you know, mm. just cold and but wearing a lot of coats because it was winter. <laughs> but then on the tube, it's really hot. So you're just kind of sweating in, in down. Fantastic. And uh, and having this awkward conversation and, and obviously and afterwards being, oh, God, that was fucking awkward. And mm. the same sort of emotions of like, oh, wow, this is somebody who I really thought I was going to marry. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and now they're this odd stranger who still lives in the same tube line as me. How odd. Um, but I think what actually breaks my heart more and what what I sort of wish I could say to that person who left that tube that day is like, that's the last time you're ever going to see him. Mm. Because it was the last time I ever saw him. And I probably, I'm not going to run to him again, really. He lives somewhere else now, you know? Do you it's think? Like, I don't think we're ever going to see each other again. He was my last ex-boyfriend before Gav. And now I sort of think to myself, like, what would you have said to him if you knew that was the last time you were ever going to see him? But would you have said something dramatic? I feel like... No, probably not. This is where pop culture leads us I think I would have hugged very... him, I think, or something. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I hugged him and meant it, maybe. That's nice. You know? That's where pop culture leads us astray, and I'm part of the problem in terms of writing stuff like this. <laughs> yeah. Where there's, like, a speech. Oh, a speech! There's yeah. always a speech, and I love to write the speech. I love to watch someone mm. do the speech in a different show or film. Yes. But I, it, I think if you did the speech in real life, it would go really bad and and really poorly. Really <laughs> <laughs> poorly. And yeah. um, and the other person would be quite alienated and weirded out. Yes. Like I can't imagine a situation where, is it raining? I hadn't noticed. Would go down. Is it raining? Well, you know. Oh yeah. It's raining so hard. That's such a nuts thing to say. Where did it come from? I think maybe it was supposed to be raining less. And it was one of those things where like on the day they're filming it. Because it's quite romantic if it's lightly raining. That's lovely. I think, mm, sorry, Andy McDowell. I think she's a shitty actress. Oh, no. And and it was supposed to be like a sarcastic, oh, is it raining? I hadn't noticed kind of thing. Like the Even then it's raining too much for that to work. It's raining so hard. But because it's raining so hard, it's like... It's a, it's a sort of a joke. Maybe. But the she, character is kind of a, a bitch. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, but she just ends up delivering it so sincerely. It doesn't. And it's so strange. make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. No sense. What about celebrity breakups? Which ones have hit for you? Um, Helena Bonham Carter and Tim Burton, because they had what I <gasps> yeah. thought was the dream arrangement. The house is Separate next door houses to each directly other. next door, connected by a tunnel. I, I need to know more about the tunnel. The fact that that didn't work was real a real blow. Yeah. I was like, okay, so that's fine. I understand how to make a relationship work long term. You get rich enough to acquire two mm-hmm. downtown townhouses, build a tunnel between them, <laughs> and then you, happily ever after. And we never got to find out why. I mean, we never get to find out why. And that is the irritating thing about celebrity breakups. I think breakups. she did a very candid interview about it. Did actually. she? Yeah. What'd and now learn? she's got a sexy young boyfriend. Oh. Like much younger boyfriend i think she i think she came out the other side of that breakup yeah in a way that i think is maybe fairly classic and that you don't actually see reflected in the pop culture narrative which is that the woman hurts more sooner and hurts less in the long run not to gender essentialize it's 2022 yeah but i do think there is a gendered way with which people Mm. experience breakups straight breakups anyway straight breakups exactly i remember my my Brother said this to me once. He said that that men and that was very profound at the time. Um, men and women sort of grieve in reverse, and that like like the the moment my ex girlfriend forgets about me is the moment I remember her. Ugh. Like, <laughs> I know. Sorry, it's true though. It's like yeah. men have this. Um, straight men have this. Um, 
six cents for once you've deleted the number. Yes. Yeah. 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 What's that? I don't know how they do it. <laughs> What's that? What's that? I um I as a teenager had too many boyfriends. Too okay. <laughs> so we had different upbringings. That's interesting. I'd never even considered that as an option as a teen. Yeah, no. Let's say I did not quite have that problem. My thing was that like and I don't like this about myself. Okay. Is that I was very insecure. And so I would go out with people who are more insecure than me. Mm. And I would want them to feel like lucky. Wow. You know? So I wouldn't even necessarily be that attracted to them. And they wouldn't necessarily have the good nerds. I'm saying nerds. Nerds. Do they know about I'm each other? I'm saying dating nerds. Um, see, did you have a little stable of nerds? I had a stable of nerds. Well, but the thing is, because Cork is quite small, mm-hmm. and if you go, if you you know spend your whole life there, start dating quite young, and then go to college that in the same town. This is like Toronto. People start converging on each other. I remember yep. one day getting out of a lecture hall and seeing a gang of five boys and three of them I had dated, and <laughs> I was just like, this is. This is not going to get out of here. Yeah. Got to move to London. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But Got to I, find the nerds in London. <laughs> and she did. <laughs> um, um, but yeah, I was kind of like, I, I sort of yeah, what, what just needed to sort of feel admired and, and it didn't really matter how I felt about them. It was just, please, please give me appreciation. I needed to, I don't feel, I don't feel proud of it. But also when it came around to the breakup part of it, I used to really just try out saying the maddest shit oh no <laughs> okay um like you wanted to say stuff that was cinematic or you would yes, give reasons yes. for the breakup that were i wanted to say stuff that was cinematic i want to say stuff that felt cool to say mm-hmm. okay the well, one that sticks me. in my head and i don't feel good about it. I'm, I'm not bragging about any of this okay um he said uh, i said i think we should break up or whatever he said but we love each other or something like that and I said, I looked, I looked sort of away from him and went, I can live without love. Wow. But I can't live with this. Wow. <laughs> and I remember and you were like, how old? Mm, 15. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I like, I remember feeling like I was Scarlett O'Hara, but it was like this little, I think that's what I meant when I said earlier on, like that breakups allow you to be the, sort of the main character for a while. Yeah. I think I was a bit of a, a sadist, a bit of a sociopath in that <laughs> regard, where I was just like, I love, I, I live in this quite boring provincial little city. Nothing really happens for me or around me. So I'm just going to make these situations. I think there is a certain amount of leeway that, that you feel like you get as like a romantically bereaved person. Yeah, like yeah. people sort of let you be a bit of a piece of crap. Yeah. Um, and that can be, I, I can see what you mean about that being being freeing. Like yeah. and you can skip things and yeah. you can say things that are a bit too much and you can drink a little too much and at kiss dinner. People. And yeah, like kiss someone on the dance floor or something yeah. kind of slightly past the age where that makes sense. Yeah. Everyone's like, well, okay. She's she's on thing. It didn't work out. Yeah. 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 And I think that yeah, that main character syndrome really gets in your blood because people don't write movies about couples that have a nice work-life balance and share home chores equally and support each other. You know, there's no conflict in there, which I think means that that there's not a ton of drama. Mm. Um, which I don't mind personally. <laughs> I don't mind. I'm always getting in trouble. I don't need drama. I'm always getting in trouble for submitting scripts where people are quite nice to each other. Yeah, <laughs> not a lot happens. Just enjoying one another. Like yeah. the the stakes are like there's a small misunderstanding and it gets sorted out right away. Right away. But I I think that's another thing in in terms of breakups in pop culture that people are horrid to each other mm. and then don't break up. And I wish that they would. <laughs> there are so many relationships on TV where like I I'm not rooting for that couple. Mm. Were you ever a Gilmore Girls fan? Yes. When it came back for a year in the life, and Lane Kim was still married to that fucking toadstool, <laughs> I was like, "No, she should be on the road with her band." She and should her be music. in the city. Yeah, she should have gotten out of there. I mean, there were almost, almost no good relationships on that show. No, between men and women, 
I mean. No, men and women were not supposed to live together. No, <laughs> it's just supposed to be fast-talking girls having a yeah. good time. Yeah, and men bring us breakfast. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Milo Ventimiglia in that show was very important to me yeah, as a teenager. Important. It was very important um, when he showed up, but like by the creek. I want to say mm, with like a paperback slid in his back pocket. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, okay, he's he reads. Yeah, okay. Dean doesn't read. Dean doesn't read. They are so similar looking. Those boys, basically, <laughs> one of them is a little longer than the other one. That showed a great hair for men. Mm. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, tune in for Gilmore Girls. Okay, and but do you know done. what I mean? Relation these relationships on TV where because they want more conflict, mm. the way that they talk to each other is just terrible. Yes. Or they think, like, that's just how people talk when they're really being unfiltered. I'm like, I've never spoken to anyone like that in my life. <laughs> Why well, is, is there one in particular that's sounding out? Ross and Rachel. I was just about to say. Ross and Rachel. And we want the conflict and drama for TV. It's like, will they, won't they, will they, won't they? No one's asking, should they? No. Shouldn't they? Yeah. They shouldn't. Yeah. And it's this thing of, like, it's very Hollywood reasoning of, like, it is written in the stars because they've known each other since they were children. Yeah. And therefore, I've, I've actually been doing a rewatch of Friends, kind of a cozy background while I do my laundry, sort mm-hmm. of rewatch. And even though I don't think anyone really thinks those two characters should be together, I will say how they pace their various breakups and get back together, is, I think, is kind of magnificent. Mm. The thing of um, when he comes back from China with Julie and then... Rachel agonized for a few weeks and then he managed, he breaks up with Julia or, or no, she kisses him and then it all seems like they're about to get together. Finally, we're two seasons in, we've had this going for so long and then he makes the list. Yeah. The she's not Rachel. Really good. Chubby ankles, a little spoiled. Chubby ankles. Oh Just my a God. waitress. It's ew. Just a waitress. That is really good drama, it's you know. So good drama. Like, uh, I couldn't that's, believe it. Yeah, that's devastating. Yeah. And it, it's Just the choice of things. Ross is such an asshole. <laughs> he is sort of the best TV asshole has ever been, though. That's the worst reason I ever stopped seeing someone is that we were at the pub with a bunch of friends and everyone was saying which friend they were. And he was like, I'm Ross. And I was like, absolutely not. Absolutely. I'm not going to be with Ross. Fine. Yeah. I, it's never going to be Ross. But it was weird. It's like they've got this sort of thing then with like kind of almost multimedia breakups and get back together is because it's then they get back together because they're watching their prom videos and there's this thing where it's revealed that Rachel was almost set up for the prom and then Ross goes upstairs to put a tux on to take her oh yeah and then he comes back down the stairs and she's gone already and isn't that destroyed me yeah <laughs> devastating yeah Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Don't get me started on Ross. (laughs) Toxic nerd. Toxic nerd. Toxic nerd. Very evident. When I talked about the nerds, I went out with when I was in in uh, secondary school. That's I'm, I'm, Ross. I'm, we're in Ross area. A lot of <laughs> but this brings us on to I think it's got to be Jen Aniston. Jen Aniston. Yeah. Like when people want to talk about Adele or Taylor Swift as being these like queens of heartbreak, but mm. she is this her high priestess. Like she's been there this whole time. And it's, the thing is, what makes her a martyr of breakups? This like patron saint is because it's been thrust upon her and she doesn't want it. Well, that's the thing. Like Adele and Taylor Swift can both make their art from it. So yes. it's sort of it's, it comes back to the fucking Nora Ephron thing. Yeah. Of like who's in charge of telling the story and Jennifer Aniston. It didn't feel had any control whatsoever <sighs> on the story that was being told about her love life. Yeah. It was basically like she was being like punished for having dared to date the prom king in the first place yeah you know it's like well what did you think would happen it's so interesting that you, that i haven't 
thought about that being such a big part of why Jane Anne is the heartbreak queen. Because you're right, Adele and Taylor Swift, they have this power. They have their writing, their songs, their music. And to a certain extent, they're interested in talking about it. Whereas Jennifer yes. Aniston has always said, yeah. please, can we get over it? And everyone's been like, no. No. <laughs> but because she was so powerless against the narrative, people related to her more because they feel powerless against their own sort of personal narrative of being abandoned or left for another woman or whatever. Right. That sense that everyone's looking at you and talking about you, even yeah. though you don't want to be defined by this thing. Yeah. Yeah. And because she isn't a writer, like she, she's a really good comic actress. Oh my that, God, that, she's so good. The power, she doesn't have that power to create art that will correct the narrative. So what happened for a while was obviously there's like the kind of constant back and forth with Ross Mitchell and friends. So we know her as somebody who's unlucky in love from that anyway. And oh, then it yeah. reflects in real life immediately with Brad Pitt and Angie Jolie, the whole thing. The Mr. and Mrs. Smith thing. Yeah. That was, I mean, that was a really... The summer, man. <laughs> a stunning turn of events. Yeah. And then, I mean, you couldn't have planned it, but worse, I guess, from her perspective. Like, yeah. Not only was her gorgeous husband like stolen away by this famous like, a like vixen, like yeah. this gorgeous, mythologically beautiful kind of bad girl, and Jennifer Who drinks Anderson's. blood, you know, yeah, and, like makes out with her brother. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah <laughs> fuck Why her. Do that? <laughs> but like, it really couldn't have couldn't have gone worse in terms of like the people involved being interesting and like cl- just such clear kind of parts. Like the roles were very clearly drawn. Yeah. Um, and there, I don't I don't know how you could you know I don't think she handled it badly. I think there's there I can't imagine. Yeah, what would you do? Well, I mean, there was that kind of thing where she sort of tried to reclaim the narrative by having that movie quite soon after with Vince Vaughn called The Breakup. And what is The Breakup about? I mean, I assume a breakup. but Yeah, no, it is It is like about this uh, kind of ordinary couple who live together and then they, they break up but they're still living together in the same apartment. Mm. And it's all about the, the antics and things that they pull each other and how it starts off sort of amiable-ish and then becomes really poisonous and then eventually they end up back together. Right. Um, it's not great, but it's one of these things that like just traded so heavily on the fact that, well, this is how you're already thinking about her. And to her probably felt at the time, well, this is my way to reclaim this narrative. I don't think she could have guessed that it would be something that stuck for decades, to be fair. No. Like it probably seemed she like she could do a cheeky whatever wink to the... the yeah. The, the, it, like, probably felt camp. Like when they had Brad Pitt on Friends yeah. as a guy who hated... Rachel. Rachel. Yeah, yeah. I think she was probably like, this is sort of cheeky like that, not knowing that this was going to be like a dominating story of her yeah. life, which is so unfair. I'm getting really... I know! <laughs> annoyed on Jennifer Aniston's behalf. She doesn't need our pity. She's doing great. She but also, she doesn't need our pity and she's doing great. Um, fucking, I'm sure I'll watch the morning show someday. Um, <laughs> but, and then it's like... What's even more painful for for really just living through the Jenan <laughs> naughty's experience? God, should I get highlights? Is that she was this like girl next door, wholesome kind of character, the most beautiful girl next door that could ever possibly exist. Yeah, but still, she had this kind of wholesome neighborhoody vibe about her that we knew through Rachel, and whereas Angie Johnny was like sexy, ethereal witch. Mm-hmm. But then, as the narrative continues. Angie Jolie becomes the refugee saving mother of seven or whatever mm. and they become this weird wholesome family and Jennifer Aniston gets cast as this sort of like childless older woman kind of thing and like oh you know it's that and then she becomes the witch well I think that the childlessness is probably the source of the story lasting yes, so long exactly if she had just gone and done the thing she was supposed to do and had babies with some other handsome hollywood person yeah everyone would have been like and that's the end of her story so true fine but she's it's, fine it's like people see it as like a dot 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 question mark because they're like but but she couldn't because there's no yeah and and i i it's it's until you've opted out of one of these um of, until you've opted out of like a I don't know like a heterosexual relationship which is like yeah. the dream end goal in I think society's mind for straight women for yeah. for women in general probably um, they just want us all set up with men mm-hmm. um, right after my breakup people started asking do you ever get married again like instantly 
Like we weren't even divorced. And it's everyone's kind of first question. I've been getting asked it a lot on the press tour for the book as well. Like, would you get married again? And I'm like, so irrelevant. And, (laughs) and, um, and a really weird thing to ask someone who whose marriage has just fallen apart to be like, imagine feeling better and then meeting another person and then trusting them enough to love them and then deciding to have another big party in front of everyone mm. to say that you love them. Would you do that right now? <laughs> I don't know. Gun, gun to your head. What do you think? Yeah. Um, and I think that like the second that you kind of buy, opt out of one of those if it's like why would you let go of a marriage if you had one you know yeah um it's i think it's the same thing with jennifer aniston like why haven't you had kids then you know why haven't which is such an insensitive question there are so many reasons that women can or can't or do or don't have kids um i'm rambling and i forget why i started it's jenan so it's always relevant but it was about it was a it was to do with people kind of obsessing oh i know what it was it's to do with people uh deciding that your tragedy is over once you've opted back yes. in. So I remember running into an acquaintance with um, my new boyfriend, like maybe a year or two, a year and a half after my divorce. And I had a new boyfriend, very new. Mm-hmm. And we were like holding hands on the street and ran into uh, a mutual friend of me and my exes. And I could see them be like, oh, I'm not worried. Uh, there was like relief yeah. and kind of like happiness for me. And, you know, I had been through a very difficult breakup, so some of that is just nice and normal. Yeah, but also yeah. I think there's a sense of like, oh, thank goodness, she's found someone else. So she doesn't have to be like this loose end that we don't know what to do with. Yes, I can close that book in my head. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And then I think the kind of as you get older, the version of that is having kids. That's so true. It's just such a bummer. It's such a bummer. <laughs> it's very unimaginative. You have to create life to prove you're okay. And this maybe this comes back, too, to most of the stories about women that we see in the media and in in culture and stuff focused mm. on breakups and weddings and these big mm-hmm. kind of romantic milestone moments. Mm. Um, so we have, like, a low cultural imagination about other things that can be important in a woman's life. Yeah. Low cultural imagination is such a good way of putting it like I often think about the um I mean I just think about the divorce part of it a lot anyway <laughs> just like if my just mind think about it it's like the screensaver you know that, that Microsoft 95 like, yeah she is wearing the Chanel boots good for her good for her <laughs> it's like you know like a screensaver on an old Microsoft computer those pipes the pipes I like, think about those pipes all the time that's just like the divorce part of it just starts playing in my head <laughs> suddenly I see <laughs> Her face, the map of the world. Yeah. Um. But like that is a movie about like a like a woman's toxic relationship with a job and her boss. And the the just that Adrian Grenier plot does mm. not need to be in there. I get like you could have a friend character or just the friend character. Right. Disappointing your friends. Right. It, like he's a fucking negative charisma in that movie. Yeah. And it's but it's, it's that thing you go back to of the limited cultural imagination unless we see what effect her job is having on on her romantic relationship with the sexy man that we don't understand what she's truly losing which is her very womanhood itself I think movies about women back then in particular were all marketed like rom-coms even though you're totally right that that film is not about that at all yeah it's not about her romantic life and you're totally right that the boyfriend could just be a friend and in a way him being her boyfriend he's sort of a famously bad boyfriend of film yes yeah like every every couple of months there's like a tweet that's like you know who fucking sucked <laughs> I'm here for it every time Adrian Grenier and the Devil Wears Prada support your girlfriend it's, yeah it's, oh, you're I a 35 year old man freaking out about your birthday shut up chef, he's a chef though so it does make sense that he's kind of a jerk. Isn't he a chef? He is a chef. Yeah. yeah. And I remember that because he talks about, that's $18 worth of Jarlsberg. <laughs> it's just a line that goes around in my head. He makes her a sandwich. <laughs> Shouldn't be that much. It's not a good cheese. Um, but uh, um, I always get such back... a thing that a jerk chef would say. Yeah. I always go back to that character. Think of that actor because like the way that Entourage sold him as being the biggest, most famous movie star in the world. And we couldn't make that happen for him culturally. <laughs> I know. I've never seen Entourage, but I do think he seems charming. Yeah. Is he not? I don't know. I don't know. He's fine. It's a bad show. I don't know anything about Grenier. Um, how, when we're talking about like moving on from Jen Ann, but that thing of like when a breakup is so huge that it needs to be mirrored through different 
bits of art and culture and stuff. One that really sticks in my head is the Crimea River music video <laughs> that Justin Timberlake put out. That was a big breakup for sure. Because that was like... That spun me out, man. Because for, I think, millennials, that was like our teen, our teen prince and princess. Yeah. Not, yeah. couldn't make it work. And it was what, because she she cheated? Well, that was what he implied. Right. In, in this, in the, that, but that was, the, it was like, I, I, I cared a bit when they broke up because Britney and Justin, they, they've just been there for a while. Um, but then he released this video where it's supposed to be him in her house. And then at the very end, it's like a lookalike he's hired. who's wearing the sort of fedora, the Britney of that era kind of thing. Mm. And he's, yeah, just sort of like filmed himself having sex in her bed. And then she has to come in and watch it. Oh my God. It's really vicious. And comes back to something I care a lot about, which is like, Justin Timberlake is a toxic person. Wow. I hate that man. He's my most hated I mean, man. I'll never forgive him for what he did to Janet Jackson. I'll never sure. forgive him. All he's ever done is profit off female misery. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting that he implied that she cheated after they broke up because that, I feel like, ties back into the thing we were just talking about of like the only yeah. real thing you should be doing as a woman is securing a male partner yeah. and then eventually having babies with him. Yeah. And the worst thing you can do is get out of a relationship with a man if you already have one. And the worst, worst way you can do yeah. that is by betraying your male partner by having sex with a different man. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's just... Ugh. It was something we talked about um, a lot with the end, just like that, episodes. And I know... Oh, my God. Do you know how many women have come up to me and said, are you Monica from Monica's ass? <gasps> oh, my God. I can't believe we didn't say it. This is Monica <laughs> from Monica's ass. <laughs> you are like... It's me. Also, it's like New York was a character on the show. <laughs> Your ass is a character on this podcast. Because also the way that Dolly explained it in the podcast makes it sound so much more salacious than it is. I'll, I'll break my legendary silence on this topic right now. Okay, explain why it's called Monica's Monica. ass is called that because I got drunk on tequila on holiday in Mexico. Mm-hmm. And my boyfriend had taken a photo of me in the pool mm-hmm. where the water had... Uh, f- like distorted. rippled in such yeah. a way it had distorted my admittedly already juicy bum to make it look like cartoonishly like, like it looked like it was filling the pool <laughs> like, Mrs. A, Mrs. Incredible like a vulgar like a cartoon dump truck ass <laughs> Pixar mom in the pool on the holiday and I drunkenly sent it to the group chat and it's now the, uh, the group photo of and the, the group chat. name Monica's which I believe was my doing <laughs> <laughs> and I think Probably my strongest contribution. To yeah, and that'll be my legacy, ultimately. <laughs> <laughs> You've written on Shit's Creek. Mm-hmm. You've got your own TV show coming out. Throw it in the bin. Monica's yeah. ass. Book. Monica's ass. But anyway, um, when we talked about, and just like that, and the thing, like, obviously that show was a fucking mess in many ways, but the thing that um, Dolly and I really enjoyed was the Miranda's infidelity storyline? Like, mm. obviously, you can have opinions on Chetiaz or whatever, but I think, <laughs> but I think it it makes it made sense. It made sense that she would cheat on that man. It well, made, that man, you know? as we found him, as we <laughs> as we found Steve, the husk of Steve that they left us with. I'm yeah. a Steve truther. <laughs> I love Steve. Steve is in my top five Men of Sex and the City breakdown. And well, I f- okay, what's going? Piss politician number one. Oh my god, you and Dollar. Piss oh, politician wow. number one. Yeah. David Duchovny in the institution number two. That's so you of you. Um, <laughs> Steve. Steve, okay. Uh, Harry. Yeah. And maybe Burger, but not. I don't want him to be there. I don't like that about myself. David Duchovny and Burger are kind of the same thing. You're just right. At different stages of life. Maybe Justin <laughs> threw. Oh, yeah, the, the, the family. The, the family, <laughs> yeah. rather than Justin Theroux at the party. Or, no, sorry, Smith Jared, obviously. Oh, Smith Jared, duh. Smith Jared, obviously. Oh, Above Harry, for sure. I don't sure. know why I don't ask everybody who comes on the podcast <laughs> what their ranking is. I should make that a Piss thing. politician number one forever. Yeah. It's just, it's Carrie of, did him really dirty. It's just a bit of piss. It's just a bit of piss. <laughs> oh, you're a sex comment. Don't give me. This is a different know. podcast. It's, different it's unrelated. Podcast. Sorry. You were saying that the infidelity story, I think it's very interesting in pop culture that we decided that infidelity, pop culture and regular culture, we decided that infidelity is like literally the worst thing you can do to someone else. There are so many, to my mind, worse ways that someone could betray you in a relationship. I don't think it's great to cheat on your partner. I'm not like, you should just do it. I'm French now. No, it's not great. But but I think it's worse to be mean. 
Yeah, I think it's worse. To, I think it's worse to be mean. And the like thing to be openly is, mean. Cheating can come with things like gaslighting or lying yeah. or, yeah. you know, um, not being careful with someone's sexual health and safety and all mm. of those things are mean. So I get that it's like complicated, but yeah. um, that's always the story in a big breakup story when people are managing a public breakup. It's always like who cheated. Who cheated. The interesting thing about infidelity and people's reaction to that storyline on um on just like that is people are so so scared of it mm. um and, and like almost everybody if you're gonna live any kind of like richer full like long romantic life you're gonna have be on all sides of that triangle eventually right whether you know it or not you know oh. it's like it, it's like wow. death, <laughs> like death taxes and infidelity it's just all there and like mm. but i think it's like People think that if we sort of talk about it, rationalize it, talk about the reasons people do it, and maybe it's, you know, it, us, us even saying, is it really the worst thing in the world, though? Um, it's, people are almost afraid that if we make it more permissive, then more people will do it. And, and it's like, if we speak about it, it'll it'll come true. It's like, like Candyman in the Mirror or something, you know? <laughs> One thing that I, I'm really proud of in the book that I feel like is kind of missing from a lot of pop culture depictions of breakups is that it's a lot about her friend group and the work that mm. they're doing to support her in a breakup. Mm. Um, I think in in both like media coverage of people's breakups and also the like movies and films and stuff, mm. breakups are this kind of isolating thing and they do feel and can be quite isolating. Yeah. But if you're lucky, um, I think most people have, you know, a couple of friends that they can lean on in those situations and those people are doing big work for you you know you're in a really privileged position if you have friends willing to kind of come pick you up off the floor Mm. during those moments and I really wanted the book to kind of shine a bit of a spotlight on those people and um, the main character is not enormously aware of the amount of help she's getting for the first kind of two-thirds of the book um, and there's a real wake up call for her that actually, you know, she's been complaining so much about being so alone and so mm. lonely. And she's been surrounded by people the entire time who want to help mm. her and who are trying to help her and who have formed a side group chat to stop her cutting and bleaching her hair. And, you know, which is another one of those classic pop culture breakup. Oh, yes. Transformation. That your hair. The transformation yeah. fantasy, which is so much less good for you than sitting around with your friends and actually engaging with them and talking about your feelings and also talking about something that's not your fucking breakup which is so important as well yeah um which i think yeah all of it's focused on so much of the breakup messaging we get is like this is about you this is about you this is about you but you don't stop being a person in your community and Mm -hmm. you don't stop having other things that matter in your life even if you feel like you do yeah and it's it's also there comes a tipping point in all breakups where um, it it does become a, a like a, to go back to the scab thing, like p- picking the scab over and over again, and like thinking that if you turn it over again and see it from a new angle, yeah, that you know some new insight will be revealed about his character, his behavior. Sorry, I'm, we're, I'm I'm using sort of a straight dynamic or whatever, but um or or something that did so that oh that time I went to his mom's birthday party and she was dismissive of my present kind of thing that's where it all began kind of yeah and it's just it's it's just never gonna happen well maybe that's the the big damage that pop culture has inflicted is the idea that there's like a clear story at all mm. which really in a relationship there are so many big and oh little my God. things that yeah. led or didn't lead you know choices and ch- changes and reactions or like failed bids for attention or whatever and all of that's cumulative and there's it's very rarely one thing and I think that's why something like cheating is so appealing in a story because it's so clear yeah and it's so much simpler than saying you know we were not compatible in some ways from the very beginning and we maybe could have survived that if one of us had started therapy earlier but we didn't and then I had that work trip and then yeah you know he started getting really into this hobby that I found alienating and then uh I never really liked his mom and you know yeah. like yeah there are so many big and small reasons that relationships don't work and it's not a clear and tidy story kind of ever Oh, and that is kind of the major disservice that like pop culture gives us is you're so right. It's like the framing of a three act structure around something that there's going to be like that one, that one moment that 
Yeah. Because it's like, sometimes in order to survive the things that happen to us, whether it's like breakups or any kind of grief, it's helpful to cast yourself in a narrative and you're like, this is the part where my glow up happens. This is the part where I go to therapy and this is the part where I really bond with my therapist. And, and then you, and you go to therapy and it's like, well, it's actually boring. And like, yeah, which you, you're really good at doing in the book is her relationship with therapy evolving over it. And it very slowly becoming helpful, <laughs> which is actually how therapy works. It's, I remember so distinctly telling my therapist, I've, I've been in therapy a long time. I'm not to brag. <laughs> But I, you know, the book is in some ways like a horror version of like, what would it have been like to go through that big breakup without having a pre-existing relationship with a therapist mm. um, or, or with even having quite a distrust of therapy as as the yeah. narrator has. Um, but I remember telling my therapist at one point, like post breakup, like, I'm just in this really annoying stage where we've done enough work where I know what I shouldn't want but I haven't done enough work to not want it still so I'm just aware of the things that I want being bad for me and I have to just sit there and not do yeah. them but I haven't quite figured out what to do instead I'm not really that motivated to do the thing I know is more healthy so I'm just yeah. sitting at home having a time out from my own life <laughs> <laughs> oh no yeah but I think this all ties into that main character thing you were saying about yeah. like the urge to narrativize these experiences yeah. comes from like, you're like, okay, well, everything's happening to me and it's all going to lead to, me, you know. Me meeting the guy or me suddenly having an amazing career. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and like we find it useful to like view our life stages as being montages and zooming out from them. Like, okay, well, this is a boring gym class, but but once I zoom out from this and it's, it's progressive gym classes and then I look amazing yeah. and I'm strong and I run <laughs> marathons and I meet Bill on the marathon. And it's like, you know, that Joan Didion quote that people in publishing love, which is we, we tell ourselves stories in order to live. And... I always, I remember my friend Otega said this to me once and I found it so clever. Um, she was like, people use that quote as like, so buy a book. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> buy, like, buy, tell us a story and I live. Buy a little story. Why not? Yum, yum. But actually what that quote is trying to say is we are fooling ourselves constantly. We are laboring under these in, like extravagant fictions we build around our own selves that don't exist and don't end in any payoff. <laughs> Yeah, I think I think there's a a bit of a fear of like the mundane or the everyday yeah. kind of happen a play in those moments where it's like you don't want to admit that the process of getting over something like this is going to be slow and boring and it's yeah. going to involve a lot of like soft hangouts where you're maybe operating at seven percent and like yeah. and like you're you're not you're not really like this exciting newly single person on an adventure. You're just like a slightly wounded person trying to sort out how to be again. Yeah. And that's way less fun than being like, I'm your messy broken up friend. <laughs> yeah, Here I go. Yeah. Now it's the montage part. Like, you know, um, you have to live all the, the bits between the montage as well. I can imagine there's going to be at least a few people who will have seen this come up in their podcast this morning and will be like, oh my God, because like a third of every woman, a third, a third of all people are having a breakup at any time. That's, yeah. what I, that's what I believe. And they're going to be like, oh my God. Um, and so for anyone who actually is in the thick of this right now, this horrible bit that you experienced, that everyone has to experience, what would you say? Oh, um, I would say... It's going to be bad, and then it's going to be fine. Um, I think there's no point in pretending it's not going to be a little bit bad. Mm. But um, it really will be fine, and that's the thing that you lose sight of, and that's what makes grief, I think, or heartbreak in particular. I can't really speak to, like, proper mm. losing someone grief, but heartbreak feels so yeah. devastating because there's something about it that really makes you think, it's going to be forever. Yeah. I'm going to feel like this forever. And it's like, oh, of course you won't. Yeah. And that's what I think is funny about it mm -hmm. in a way. Mm -hmm. It doesn't feel funny in the moment. It feels horrendous. But then it, part of you knows even like, you know, when I was going through my own breakup, I had already been heartbroken before once in my life quite yeah. badly. My first love and I broke mm -hmm. up and I was, I was so shocked to find that it felt exactly the same. Yeah, it. I thought it might feel worse because mm -hmm. we had been married, but it, it felt exactly the same as the first time. Um, 
And it, I think it feels exactly the same every time. It just feels like somebody ripped open your rib cage and shat in it. <laughs> but it stops feeling that way eventually. It really does. And there's nothing you can do except feel a little bit like that every day. And then eventually you'll feel less and less like that. Mm. And my friend Ebony said this to me when I was going through my breakup. She was like, you'll be really surprised how soon you start to feel better. Yeah. Because you think it's going to be forever. And then it'll feel so sudden that one day it doesn't feel like this anymore. Yeah. Even though it's going to be kind of bad for a bit. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah. And that kind of goes the same for like friend breakups as well. Oh, God. I think friend breakups are in some ways worse because we they don't are. have any scripts for them. No. At least you can romanticize. I know. <laughs> the right? breakup. And also the worst thing about friend breakups is that um, you can have loads of friends. You yeah. can, I mean, for most people who aren't like pursuing a kind of polyamorous lifestyle or whatever, you're kind of only going to have one partner and you kind of have to make sure there is the best choice for you that they possibly can be mm -hmm. to ensure great survival and a nice family life down the line but you can have as many fucking friends as you want so when you stop being someone's friends <laughs> yeah no they're real some of the worst breakups of my life have been friend breakups yeah, i would say yeah it just hurts so i think maybe see i was thinking from this whole conversation that all of these scripts we have from pop culture are so limiting but now i'm like maybe it's useful to have something just so you can at least mm. think like well, here's what it might feel like or might look like or here's what it might be worth it for when you're really in the thick of it. Yeah. And when you're in the thick of it with a friend breakup, you're like, I'm the biggest loser in the world. I can't, I can't keep a fucking friend alive. Yeah, I'm know? the biggest loser in the world and I'm never going to make another friend. So it's a sort of similar feeling, really. Yeah. But there's no, like, glow up and no. people don't kind of feel bad for you and there's none of that kind of social leeway that you get with heartbreak. Totally. And also it's like there's kind of a broadcast that goes out when you break up with a romantic partner that That's doesn't true. happen with a friendship. So people will be like, oh, I saw so-and-so the other day. And you're like, oh, please never mention, <laughs> never say that name to also, me. Also, <laughs> one thing I found when I became single again was that kind of like past flames sort of could tell from my unhinged Instagram presence that I was single mm -hmm. and started like reaching out a little Sniffing bit. Around. But that doesn't happen. When you lose a, f a friend, it's not like new friends. Or <laughs> like, yeah. oh, what's up? Or you're in the market. <laughs> you're taking CVs for new friends. <laughs> you can't quite throw yourself into like the effort of trying to make a new friend because mm. it's a bit more, it's again, less like codified than dating. Yeah. So the process of doing it is a bit more haphazard or random. So you're just like, well, and there go there they go. I would kill man for like it's never gonna get greenlit, but like a TV show about a friend breakup. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I know what the exec would say, which is where are the stakes? I mean there must be something about that. I feel like Hacks is a great show about Oh my god friendship in yeah. a way. Although it's also about mentorship and like Yeah. Monica Isi. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> um you have a book coming out very soon. I do. Really good, actually. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's such a good book. I loved it so much. I'm so glad you liked it. <sighs> Awkward if I didn't. <laughs> Talk to me for like an hour and a half. Be like, Monica has a book coming out. It's fine. <laughs> you know what? She's got some <laughs> things to say. <laughs> no, it, no, it really is fabulous. And I like it. Um, I haven't been properly heartbroken. Since I was about 20, I think, like my proper, my first, like my uni breakup or whatever was like a real big one for me. And as you said a minute ago, um, reading that book, it, I was like, oh, all these little scars, I can still feel them actually. Mm. They never go away. And like, it's, it's this incredibly like human thing to like just touch on those scars again. But also with this book that's incredibly empathetic and just really fucking funny. And like, it reminds you that it is this kind of, natural thing of being alive we all experience this crushing disappointment of love just fading or not working out yeah and it's just a real bam to have something that's like funny and just lovely about that thank you thank you for writing it <laughs> <laughs> um you also make tv you've got a show coming out i have i wish i could tell you the title of it but we haven't got one yet <laughs> I mean, just, just we just wrapped shooting on friday <laughs> you don't have it yeah no we haven't got a title yet they're focus grouping some titles so Oh, are you going to sit behind the... No, glass? no, they don't. Let, I don't know anything about it. Okay, we'll good. have a title eventually. It's a romantic comedy. And it's coming out on Sky in um, end of March. 
Holy hell. I know. What a year it will be for you. <laughs> this might be the last time I see you. No. Oh, we've got that Christmas lunch. <laughs> <laughs> Monica's Christmas. Monica. Um, okay, thank you for coming in. Thank you so much for having me. This has been Sentimental Garbage, and I've been Caroline O'Donoghue. The podcast was produced and edited by me, with mix and music by Harry Harris, and artwork by Gavin Day. If you'd like to email me about the pod, you can do so on sentimentalpod at gmail.com, or get in touch with me directly on Twitter or Instagram at ZaraLine. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com